Welcome to Basic Snitches. Hello. I'm Adam. I'm Tara. Tara is living in a closet right now. I am. I'm literally recording from my friend Sharon's closet. And by closet, I mean a room the size of my old bedroom. It is huge. I'm watching her dog, Winthrop, who I'm sure will make his presence known at some point because this is actually his house. How respectful of you. Tara and I are both having hells of a week. Hells of a week. Yeah, sure. That's that's how to say that now. Some people on the Patreon know this, but I uh, have two days left at my job. I got a new job and it's very crazy and overwhelming and surreal. And then I think, Tara, you just had like a busy, busy, crazy week. A lot of people have heard of Joint Commission and like Department of Health. You know, these are places that come in and survey hospitals. Our hospital is actually one of two in the entire world that is accredited for rehabilitation for children, for pediatrics. The other one is in Cincinnati. So if there's, you know, anyone who needs a pediatric rehabilitation center, you're going to come to Ohio. The accreditation group that came to our hospital this week, they just come in, they are evaluating our programs or evaluating the work we have done since the last survey, which was in 2019. It was just very stressful and like no clear idea of what needed to happen. So, and I've never really had to deal with that kind of stress in my job. All my stress comes from outside of my job, which is different, but fair. You know, for a while, that's how I felt about where I currently work for just a couple more days, but things have changed so much in the past couple of years. So I got this new role. I, in fact, I was up for a position at the same company where Brian works, you know, the gay loser. They rejected me. So guess who's the gay loser now? But I am actually going to another company. It's a huge step up, but saying goodbye to a lot of friends, coworkers, and vendors that I work with, and then just having to brain dump and offload everything I do that would, which is crazy. It's just been insane. So to celebrate, we're reading, because by the way, guys, this is not an Adam and uh, Tara life podcast, which is probably a good thing this week. Um, Sometimes we have fun, but (laughs) honestly, I know that's what you really want. And hey, if people keep joining our Patreon, then maybe we'll do it. Yeah, everyone will really would love to listen in on my therapy sessions, I'm sure. Because Tara is my therapist now, by the way. No. <laughs> Today, we are discussing one of the craziest chapters, <laughs> craziest weeks ever. I have some wine, and Tara also has a treat. Oh, yeah. I have a Capri Sun. <laughs> so Sharon is like, you can drink, eat whatever you want in my house. And she's like, my ex-boyfriend has left some beer here if you want that. I was like, cool. And she opened her fridge um, to show me where the carrots were for Winthrop, because that's important that I know where the snacks are. And she was like, also, there are Capri Suns. And I was like, yeah, I'm totally going to have one. (laughs) And the Capri Suns are not for Winthrop, actually. No, the Capri Suns are for me. (laughs) (laughs) They're actually for Sharon, but um, she's letting me have this one. The carrots are for Winthrop, and he wants one, but he's not getting any more. You have two bones. Two bones. I don't have any bones. (laughs) Which I'm fine with. To make up for Tara having only a Capri Sun, I am about half a bottle in and about six to eight milligrams of weed in because I needed it. So buckle up, Tara. We're going to talk about Dumbledore's death. Today's chapter is chapter whichever number, whichever one this is. 27, the lightning struck tower. On top of it being kind of a crazy time and now only having one day left of work, tomorrow's my last day. 
I also am editing this on a new version of Audacity, so if it sounds kind of weird, that might be why. Anyways, let's acknowledge our patrons. As a member of our Patreon, you will be acknowledging every single one of our episodes and get exclusive content every single week at patreon.com slash basicsniches. So join us there at our lowest tier for only $3 a month. And our patrons are Ashley, Brian, Brittany, Jen, Mary Beth, Megan, Nisi, Nicole, and Olivia. Tamara wrote a thing. I did. I mini panic attack because I thought I fucked it up, but I actually did it right. So that shows how stable I am right now. Do you want me to do winner loser of last chapter? Oh my fucking God. Yeah. Okay. See, I knew I fucked it up somewhere. Okay. Yes. This is the time where Tara says who the winner and the loser is. And I have no idea what they are for the last chapter because there were only two people. Well, the loser of the chapter is Voldemort. Okay. Makes sense. We know your secret bitch. And the winner of the chapter is Harry. Yes, it should be Harry. I mean, Dumble could not have done that all by himself. He needs Harry to help him shove margaritas down his throat. It's a big challenge for him, not just to like be on this terrifying trip with him, but to just feel like he's responsible for Dumbledore's weakness. It made me sad for him. Yeah. So. I mean, we talk about some of these chapters being roller coasters, and that one absolutely was. Because, yes, they're successful, but it's wrought with a lot, and then it ends with that emotional moment at the end. So what you said totally makes sense. For some reason, I thought R.A.B. might be in there, too, but Voldy and Harry, it's apropos, so. He's just going to chew on that bone in here. Awesome. I hope you all enjoy the lovely sounds of Winston Churchill. Yeah, I'm going to mute while you're reading the thing. So Okay, cool. And it is the thing time. So I'm going to read the it's thing. thing time. And the name of this thing is Thing 27, <laughs> which I really enjoy. Okay. So Harry illegally apparates himself and Dumble back to Hogsmeade. They see Madame Rose Murder, who tells them that the dark mark has been set off over the school. She helpfully loans them brooms, and even though Dumble is barely conscious, he's still able to undo the spells he has up around Hogwarts because of course he can. He and Harry fly towards the astronomy tower because that's where the dark mark is. And also, if you can fly into the grounds, why wouldn't you fly to the highest tower? Before Harry can go get Snape like Dumble requests, they hear someone coming up the stairs and Dumble immobilizes Harry, who for the second time in this book, is now trapped unmoving under his invisibility cloak. The person who runs in is Draco, who has disarmed Dumble. Then, instead of taking Draco out by some other badass on the greatest fucking wizard ever skill, Dumble does a little download with the baby Death Eater. They very helpfully go through the book and all of Draco's attempts to kill him that were all pretty terrible. They then discuss Harry's favorite person while he's stuck under the cloak, and he gets to overhear their argument over whether or not Snape loves Voldy more than Dumbledore. I noticed that little typo in there where uh, she said Harry's favorite person. It actually should be Tara's favorite person, but... Get out of here. A fun fact to learn here, though, is that Draco is not entirely useless. He apparently has some fancy carpentry skills and fixed a cabinet all by himself. (laughs) There's more back and forth between Dumble and Draco, and then three new Death Eaters and the fuckface show up. They all make really bad jokes about Dumbledore, and he zings better ones back. Kindly offers to bite him before he can have a little Dumble snack. Snape shows up. 
Harry would roll his eyes in annoyance if he weren't frozen and invisible, but instead he just continues to do nothing. Oh, and at the end of this chapter, Snape kills Dumbledore. Yes! What? I think that's how you spell Fringer. That's not an easy thing to spell. I know. I am a terrible speller, but I know how to spell that one. Very good. Hey, did I ever tell you that I was in the spelling bee twice in elementary school and both years I lost on the same word and it was protein? I don't think I know how to spell protein. Uh, Yeah, apparently neither do I. (laughs) That is a true story. 100% (laughs) true. Two years back to back, lost on the word protein. That was rude of them to bring back that. Like, <laughs> I was like, are you fucking kidding me? They took notes, okay? They <laughs> like, Let's see if this fucker learned uh, this word. Yes. You later were learned one word, one new word this year, Adam. Nope. You're out. Didn't learn from my mistakes. <laughs> That's a great segue into this chapter, isn't it? So they come back. Harry successfully apparates them back to Hogsmeade. And then this is when we have that little moment with Madame Rose Murda. But also the big question, and I kind of already asked you this and you've kind of already answered it, but he asks immediately for Snape before Pomfrey, before anything. Yes. Because of his condition with crispy hands and now Margarita Throat, which is my new drag name, by the way, he is in really bad shape. So is he thinking maybe, okay, like it's time. I see the dark mark. This must be, you know. I think that it's because they just encountered all that dark magic. Snape was the one who saved him from literally like being entirely crispy from the ring. So he maybe is thinking that Snape, also Snape's a potions master. And he just drank this potion, which is clearly not good potion. So I think Snape is the answer anyway. I don't think that he's like, oh, I'm going to pull Snape in here to also murder me because my time is here. And also trying to explain that to Madame Pomfrey. Dumble told Snape some of the stuff that he was doing here because we learned that in seventh book. But like, I don't know how much he told him. Because I think that Snape knew he was off site too. Because Snape is part of the Order of the Phoenix. Right. First of all, I didn't think about that with Pomfrey. That makes a lot of sense. The My first thought, of course, was because I was trying to look at it from both perspectives, both knowing what was about to happen and like what it would be like as a first time reader. And I mean, yeah. we saw the same thing with the necklace. Or did we? Or is the movie like fucking me up again? I think maybe we did. When the necklace cursed Katie Bell, did he go running to Snape like obviously there's that scene in the movie and I'm pretty sure there's a lot of things wrong with it but at the very least I think that there was something having to do with Snape because he's defense against dark arts he has a conversation with Snape in the movie yeah post all of it so I'm probably right after it happens it is in the movie but regardless, I mean, you're totally right. Potions master, we don't know what... <laughs> I mean, if there's anybody who is very, very familiar with Wormtail's uh, margarita recipe, it is Snape, as we right. already established. So right Snape there, that's like, the clue, this guys. This margarita probably wasn't nearly as good as Wormtail's margarita, which is the <laughs> only skill this fucker has. I mean, let's throw him at least one bone. Right? <laughs> well, right Winter has all the bones. <laughs> yeah. okay. Winter gets all the bones. He's like, I only have two. I need more. I know, you're so handsome. No, no more bones. Things she never says to Adam. (laughs) You're fine. Go take a nap. Go hump your shark. Uh, Still, things she never (laughs) says to Adam. He has a giant shark. He doesn't need to tell me to go hump my shark. (laughs) 
that Natalie got him. Natalie got him this shark, and he doesn't hump people's legs, so he humps this shark. <laughs> All right. Well, he really wants that shark pussy or whatever the kids are calling him these days. Eat your bones. It also seems like as they are there, Dumbledore almost isn't noticing the dark mark instantly, too. And then the whole thing with Rose Murda. Later on in the chapter, Draco gives it away. That was the special coins idea that he stole from Hermione from the last book. But I assume that those are the coins that then Imperio her because like in this moment, for example, it doesn't seem- Right, how did he Imperio her? I don't know. Unless he's been, unless he Imperioed her before the school year. As I was reading it, the way that my mind kind of unpacked the whole Rose Murda is Imperioed thing is perhaps the trigger is the coins. As long as, like, he can communicate through her with the coins, maybe that is somehow utilizing the Imperial Curse. Because when they leave Hogsmeade, when they come back and everything, like, I imagine that Nico is probably getting messages from her. But it, it just seems so weird that she's just Imperialed the whole year, you know? Yeah, I never quite understood that. I mean, I guess if it's a really powerful Imperious Curse, you can just be controlling them from far away. I don't know. And if it's like through the coins, perhaps it's possible that he could have gotten some dark wizard in Nocturne Alley. You know, we right. saw how he bullied Borgen at the beginning of the year. It's possible that, you know, maybe even Narcissa was like, here, let me enchant these coins for you so you can easily do this. Yeah. Like, who knows? I mean, uh, or he did it himself and he's not as terrible as we think he is. Yeah, and he really is that good. He's a, he's a carpenter and a newt level charms master. Wow, I can't wait until Draco goes to magical trade school after all of this. And then the other question I had is, is there any other significance to it being Madame Rose murder? Or is it was just like, what about Greasy Onion? Yeah, Greasy Onion works. Okay, cool. Greasy Onion. I can't really discern if Rosemurda is the pawn here that Draco chose because Greasy Onion just used the most convenient character. At the very least, you know... Because who else was it? We don't know anyone else in Hogsmeade except for... Yeah. Dumbledore's brother, which obviously it's not going to be him. I guess that's true too. At the very least, from like a lookout perspective in this moment of the book, when you think about it, in the necklace thing that could have been almost anybody but then there's the tie back to the you know the poison mead and that being something that rose murder could easily procure so i don't know maybe that's it that who's a character who fits all of these different elements madame rose murder sure why not right um, greasy onion was like oh shoot how can this work what convoluted thing can i just make rules about the imperious yeah. curse works if you imperio them once and then you can control them forever with coins. Exactly. Sounds like a capitalist, if I've ever heard one, to put something in their book about controlling people with coins. <laughs> <laughs> Once they fly up to the astronomy tower, and um, when he's in it and he has to focus, he is focused, man. It's very much like the inferior moment in the previous chapter where he's got to get something done. He's got to focus. He's got to say these disarmament charms or whatever they yeah. are. And then they get there and then Draco comes out. First he like fights with Harry over whether or not it should be Snape or... Oh yeah, there is this little moment here. And he's like, no, no, I need Snape. I'm sorry, Severus. He keeps calling him Severus, which is like 
Okay. I mean, that is his first name. I know, but but like also it's very weird to refer to another professor by their first name to a student. Yeah, I guess that's kind of true. I like, mean, he's, like, not like, he's not like, I don't want Poppy. I want Severus. He would never call Professor McGonagall Minerva to Harry. Yeah. If I had just drunk a lot of margaritas and I needed Tara to come save me and secretly she was also going to kill me, which maybe this is backwards because you want me to kill you, but whatever. I'm not going to be like, bring me corkery. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see the corkery. Um, no, I'm going to say, get, send me that potato bitch already. Where's the potato bitch? Akio so Harry, potato bitch. Harry's like, but I don't understand because I love hating Snape. And then Dumble's like, well, just kidding. You wasted all this time. Now you're frozen behind your cloak. And here comes Draco who ha- disarms Dumble. And then they have a little chat. Yes. During this entire scene, I enjoy thinking of it being Draco from a very Potter musical. Because he comes out with his chest pushed out and he's like walking like this. I, oh, yeah. I know that you can't see it, listeners, but it's kind of like the most confident little strut. Like, I did it. I'm the best little boy ever. And he comes out and he's like, it's time for you to die. And Dumble's like, well, then do it, you little fucker. And then Draco starts like... <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, he really does. This here, we've obviously seen it in book five and earlier in this book. This is why Dumbledore is the greatest fucking wizard of all time. And I mean, this is not why. This is just an additional reason why. Where he is literally like, I don't have a wand. You could kill me and I'm going to sass the fuck right out of you. He's making jokes. What does Draco say? Like, Fat and Rosemurda said you were just going for a drink. And he's like, I certainly had something to drink. Yes. he's like yes of course i drank something you little bitch i wrote down psychological warfare that's what this is yes it's also really sad and if you think about draco here he did all the things the climax of like what he needed to do is right here and he can't because he is not a killer because he is just a scared child who really in like a scary way like rose to the occasion And all the while, like, did that out of fear, you know? He still couldn't do it. He still couldn't do what Voldemort wanted him to do. And Dumbledore knows that. If Voldemort really wanted a student at Hogwarts to kill Dumbledore, he should have asked Cormac McLaggen. Like, yeah, Cormac McLaggen will just bludger Dumbledore in the head. He would try to get Cormac McLaggen to kill a different teacher, and then he would bludger Dumbledore on accident. Oh, there you go. That's better. But of course, that's not Voldemort's true thing here, too. It's also to really psych out the Malfoys and traumatize Draco, honestly. Oh, yeah. And I think Dumble is 10,000% correct when he was like, yeah, he doesn't expect you to live. Exactly. Here's the other thing. Not only is this a pivotal moment for Draco, because I think the setup that happens here of Draco realizing he's not a killer and that he's not able to do this really sets him up for the seventh book and his redemption. I don't know that it's in this book. It might be in the next book where Harry reflects back on the fact that Draco didn't. When you get to see how Harry reflects that, because right now it's easy to forget, even though Greasy Onion puts Harry's perspective in every like so many paragraphs here. I think it's easy to forget Harry is in this chapter. 
after Dumbledore hits him with that spell because he is completely inactive. He can't act, which again is another layer of trauma <laughs> when we get around to talking about Harry. But specifically when we're talking about Dumbledore and Draco here, like it really is just the two of them. Yeah. And Dumbledore gives Draco all the room yep. to do the thing that he was supposed to do, knowing that he's not going to. Exactly. I mean, that is so very well said. The other thing, too, that I thought about this from a plot device standpoint is that in previous books, really almost all previous books, and I guess you could say it stretches out a little bit more in book five up to this moment, but you're kind of hit with, you know, the big adventure at the end, and then there's this big twist that gets you, that it's Quirrell that's the bad guy, or it's Lockshart that's the bad guy, or... In this book, it feels like it's constantly trying to, like, psych you out. Like, when I think of the big journey in this book, I actually think of when he uses the Felix Felicis to get the memory. But then there's this other journey, and it's like, okay, what's the big switcheroo that's going to happen? Bluetooth bitch in the background. (laughs) And then this moment happens, and it's like, well, this is not the big shocking moment. Obvious, the big shocking home moment happens in a couple pages, uh, right. which we'll also talk about in a moment. But we all saw that Draco was up to something. And uh, like, I mean, they make it kind of obvious almost in that chapter at the beginning of the book with Narcissa and Snape. So this moment, I don't think really a shock to anybody. And especially if you watch like the unraveling of Draco and these panic attacks he's having uh, of like, of course, this wasn't going to happen. And then if you tie it back to that unbreakable vow moment, of course, what happens happens. Now, eventually, you know, Harry is listening into everything. One of the Death Eaters who comes, probably. He's not even a real Death Eater. He isn't. He's just no. a throat eater. He talks about how young He's just a throat eater. Tummy. <laughs> I'm not a Death Eater. I'm just a blood eater. <laughs> this is how he talks, too. My name is I really like to bite people in the throat. <laughs> He's like, hey, Dumble, want me to bite you? And Dumble's like, not again. Okay, I'm done. Um, so <laughs> comes and as well as the Karos. And then there's this like fourth Death Eater who I assume is like hooded. And of course it's Snape. No, the fourth Death Eater is just another random Death Eater. Is this the big blonde bitch? That... Yeah, big okay. blonde bitch. Put a bird on that one, if you will. We'll talk about him more, I think, in the next chapter. Is At least I will. That's where he is more prevalent to me. But in your thing, you said that they are telling really, really dumb jokes. And I'm like, this is where Draco gets it from. These Death Eaters think that they're being so evil and it is so stupid. (laughs) They're like, oh, you're making jokes? He's like, I just have manners. Mm -hmm. Y'all are assholes. Amicus or whoever said this. You think that was a joke? Where'd you learn this from? Right. Who, Who is writing all the bits for the Death Eaters? We know exactly who it is. Who do you think it is? It's Greasy Onion. Well, okay. I mean, obviously, because she herself is a Death Eater. I was going to say it was not, because I don't know. I feel like it's this little old man who has permanently crossed eyes, who isn't thinking about anything, because he has half a brain left. He's the one who's, like, writing all the canned bits for the Death Eaters. Oh, probably. So that's why the Death Eaters are so lame. Because literally everything that they say to Dumbledore, I'm like, come on. This is yeah, like, they're terrible. The only thing scary about you guys is your jokes. <laughs> come on. 
But that's where Draco learned how to be a bully, and we have seen how that has gone through this entire series. All Dumbledore's line when he's talking to Amicus, and Amicus is like, well, what happened to you? Ha ha ha. You know, he's laughing at his shitty jokes. And Dumbledore is like, oh, weaker resistance, slower reflexes, old age in short. One day, perhaps it will happen to you if you are lucky. And it's such a rich, beautiful Dumbledore line. And he's like, I don't fucking get it. Like, he's so (laughs) stupid. God, I hate the Karos. They are like up there on my list of people I don't like in this series. Yeah. So there was this moment. Okay. (laughs) Work with me here. Okay. This past weekend, I was over at my sister's house, and of course, we were completely blitzed. And she was like, oh, you said one time you wanted to watch a Disney movie. So we went to Disney Plus, and I was like, what about Wreck-It Ralph? So we were watching Wreck-It Ralph. And I I love Wreck-It Ralph. I very much commiserate with Ralph himself, because I am also a big bitch who destroys things that nobody (laughs) likes. And so those little motherfuckers who live in the building, fuck those little pieces of shit. If I were Ralph, I would go in there and smash every single one of them. But Ralph doesn't do that because he's actually not the bad guy. He's actually a very good guy. Anyways, that's besides the point. I see the Karos as two of those little motherfuckers. They're so rude and they're so nasty. And even the way that they're described, I'm like, you are like Fisher Price little people. Right. Yeah. Blonde yellow hair and no hole in your soul when you turn them upside down and see that they ain't got no booty. The Karos are pieces of shit. And I'm, of course, they will be more apparent in the, apparent isn't the right word, but sure, apparent in the next book. Hate them. And I like, they get worse. The movie makes them out to be more badass than they are, but they're actually little mini umbrages. They're not even little mini umbrages. They're too dumb. Do you hear that, Dolores? There's actually characters that are dumber than you in this series. And then, He's a pedophile, okay? He is disgusting. Disgusting. Though even like the way him. that they talk about his teeth and stuff. So that was something that I was going to ask earlier is one of these Death Eaters says that someone died and then it refers to going after some of the students' throats and stuff. Does anybody else actually die here other than Nubble? No. So they lied. Yeah, the dark mark, I believe, is set to okay. get his attention. Yeah, that's true. So that was one point... As I'm looking at my notes, there's a couple other things that I had really quick between like Dumbledore and Draco. The first one is how much of a humanitarian Dumble is, caring more about other things than the prospect of dying. You know, he's I, so kind yeah. to Draco. Yeah. And uh, some of that is really like Draco's mental health that he's caring about too. So mm-hmm. it's really special to see that in Dumble's last moments. And then the moment where. Dumble says Voldemort and Draco winces and that's kind of where the facade kind of goes away so it's very telling that it's like you're trying as hard as you can to be brave but you're no Gryffindor I'm a Slytherin I know what you're doing you're trying to put on that front you are just a wet cloth what what is the term what is the correct term a wet hot dog I'm just trying to think of something that is gross and wet I don't know I don't know. Wet hot but now dog. that you said wet hot dog, that's disgusting. Hot, like hot dog water. <laughs> hot dog water. That's going to be the name of the author in the next chapter. We got there. I mean, she's still greasy onion for now. But every time I say greasy onion, I feel like it's a knockoff of glass onion. Wow. Tara loves the Beatles. So 
Okay, so those were just two other notes that I had to say. No, I really like that because I was thinking that when I was rereading it, he is so kind to Draco. He recognizes just how far Draco has gone and makes a point to like show Draco that no, you're not beyond redemption. You're not a killer. And Draco isn't beyond redemption. Again, like the reminder that he's a kid, the weight that that Voldy put on him for this. Draco, you're a piece of shit. And I want you to die because I think your dad's a bigger piece of shit. Like, that's yeah. literally how Voldemort kind of came into it. There are so many things that you just said that are, like, real-life parallels of, like, current-day politicians and other greedy <laughs> motherfuckers. I'm not going to get into it because then I'll be off on a thing. But listeners, maybe you're right there with me. Everything you said to her just feels very resonant <laughs> for shit like, going on, you know? Draco is a sacrificial lamb. Yeah. Yeah. And so on that same topic, actually, there's this mercy with Dumbledore too. I mean, obviously we talk about how kind he is, but this theme of death leading up to his death being completely inconsequential. There's worse things than death. There's worse things than me dying. Let me be merciful on this poor kid who is like fucked around, stuff like that. It's weird because... Obviously, up to this point, Draco is a little shit. But here we're finally seeing this breakthrough that is building and building of like some sort of vulnerability. And yes, we see moments of that throughout this book. But here it just it feels like it kind of forces itself out. Mm-hmm. And Dumbledore really helps with that. I mean, because it's a, it's such a dire situation. It's, it's either Draco kills Dumbledore or he doesn't. You know, that's yeah. where we are right here. We get all the way to this point where there's no like waiting around to do the thing you're either doing the thing or you're not and so yeah. draco is at that like time of the decision and he can't do it it's like dumbledore kept saying to him your heart wasn't in it before like if you really wanted to kill me you would have done a better job at getting that curse necklace to me you would have yeah. done a better job making sure that i was gonna be poisoned Mm-hmm. like Dumble just calls him out and it's like Draco probably thought he was just like whatever I, I made an effort I made an effort but then at the same time he knows that that's not going to be enough it's all culminated to this point there's no like okay well I'll do that later yeah. it's right now you let the Death Eaters in you have disarmed Dumbledore you're either going to kill him right now or you're going to chicken out when you were saying that that left me thinking if Draco was a killer he could have walked in on the first day and killed him and just done it and not felt any remorse about it but he goes about it in this passive way twice and then the third time around he has to call him back up to be there for him these death eaters did not need to be here at all for this to happen Snape's there the entire time I think the only other thing I have to say about the chapter, except for the very, very end of it, obviously, is one more thing about the Death Eaters, the Caros in particular, who come out, and they're awful jokes, but one of them says, scared to see me, and what I get, rather than it being just awful jokes, which it is, it's almost like they're looking for validation. They want to make sure that Dumbledore is scared to see them, and Dumbledore's like, fuck no, I'm not scared to see you. I'm fucking Dumbledore. Even as he's kind of staring death in the face. And he knows it at this point. It's like at this point, like Snape is going to come out and do it, obviously. And that's what happens. A couple more things I wanted to say. Yeah, no worries. I think that this chapter is so fluid the way that it moves forward. We keep going back and forth, but it's all there. It's 
you brought up the validation that these Death Eaters are seeking. It's like, oh, we finally defeated Dumbledore. Like, that's kind of like this. They come in here and they're very triumphant over a thing that Draco did without their help. He did that all by himself, just like his cabinet. Okay? That's what they're looking for. And he doesn't give it to them, but he does validate Draco. In all of those moments where he's being kind, it's also like... Draco is so distraught because he's basically just like the whole thing about my options. And he says, I haven't got any options and I've got to do it. He'll kill me. He's clearly like falling apart. And Dumbledore is like, I appreciate that this is what you're doing. And then Dumbledore moves into the, you don't actually have to do this. You know, it's like I said before, when the time is now to make that choice and he makes the choice to not kill Dumbledore because he thinks he's a coward. He thinks that's why he doesn't kill Dumbledore. And Dumbledore thinks you're not killing me because that's not who you are. Meanwhile, Draco has been made to feel and be like pressured to believe that that is the only option. He says, I have no choice. He'll kill me. Everything is end of the line for him right here. It is so telling how far these characters have been pushed here. Thank you for bringing that up, especially the thing of, like, I have no choice. I 100% agree. The other thing I want to say, based on what you said, you used the word coward. Let's hold on to that word for the next chapter. Oh, we're going to talk about that word in the next chapter. But I think it's important to note, is Rago a coward? Yes. But that's not the point. yeah, Yeah, he is not afraid of Dumbledore. He is afraid of what happens if he does not do what he said he would do which is a different type of fear and a different type of space to be in. If I have to stand in front of Dumbledore or I have to stand in front of Voldemort, I know Voldemort is going to kill me. I know Dumbledore isn't. It's a really, really powerful chapter for Dumbledore and Draco. It's so fascinating that Harry watches all of this. Uh Uh-huh, it totally is. Harry is a person of action and there's something extra heartbreaking about where he is in this whole section of the book from the second they leave until the end of this book i just am like how is harry not just been like you know what i'm gonna set my wand on fire and like never wizard again because that's what i would do it is non-stop horrible shit he has to witness that he has to experience and this moment has to be horrible Last year, he was wrong, and it was the catalyst for Sirius's death, but he was a man of action. He had to go and protect Sirius and save Sirius. And now this moment that is very real, it's not been implanted in his head by Voldemort, is happening in front of him, and he cannot do anything. And he has to watch Draco and Dumbledore. He doesn't necessarily know that Draco isn't a killer. All year long, he's been like, Draco's up to something, and everyone's ignored him, so why shouldn't he be concerned? Dumbledore, he's been watching Dumbledore deteriorate over the past however long. He had to practically carry the man back to Hogwarts. And then he sees all these terrifying Death Eaters. It could have hurt the people that matter to him. They could be the ones that just murdered Dumbledore right then and there. And he cannot do a single thing. I think everything you just said, it makes a ton of sense. It's a very emotionally driven chapter. And we learn a lot about a lot of these pivotal characters for sure. Oh, yeah. And that's all I have for this chapter. I don't think anything else of significance happens here. Nope. Are you ready for my game? Sure. Okay, we're playing a game that we haven't played for a while now. And it is, oh, shit. (laughs) 
Okay. Oh, no. So what we're gonna do is I'm gonna give you an eligible bachelor or bacheloress. Bachelorette. There's literally a name for that. And it's a TV show. But the Bachelorette. Bachelor or Bachelorette. And you have to match them up with somebody else from the series. The only catch is the person that you match them up with cannot be a bad guy. And I leave bad guy as an interpretation up to you. Okay. Ready? Eligible idiots up. First one is Amicus Caro. And I can't remember if that is the female or male presenting twin. Amicus is the male twin. Okay. I mean, it doesn't matter. You could match them up with anybody if you want. You could match them up with Dobby. You could match them up with your potato brethren. Just don't match them up with a giant squid because I'm not giving you consent. But you want my potato brethren to give consent? Well, if you give consent for them because you're their high priestess. (laughs) High potato priestess. She's leveled up. Sarah's now the potato high priestess, okay? Shit, okay. Um, So Amicus Carol, I'm going to pair with Grop. Grop will just pick him up and drop him on his head. Okay, you- And it'll be a fun toy for Grop. You're picking up what I'm putting down. Okay, we were good here. Okay. Sorry, the Grops. I apologize, the Grops. Yes, how dare you? I got distracted, sorry. Okay, next is his sister, Electo. Gonna pair Electo. Is she a little bit Electo? A little bit Electo. Um, I wanna pair Electo with George Weasley. <laughs> this is a good person for us to experiment on. Test all those love potions and mm-hmm. all those booby traps and everything on this little Sure. Pink bitch is not exclusive now, so we can call Electra that. I think I'm cool with that. A lovely. So who are you going to match with? I'm going to match Mad-Eye Moody with Frenler. That's a really good match, actually. That's yeah. great. And honestly, that's going to end in... Lots of love and baby. A lot of very cuddles. Yeah, I have no doubt that Moody is going to... Cuddle the shit out of <laughs> Next up is Snape. I know that that's probably painful for you to have to match him with someone else other than yourself, but what I just said is assuming that you're on the bad side, I suppose, because I said no bad people. And let's be honest, if someone's on the good side, it's Tara. And I'm the villain of this podcast. You have to say it in every season. I finally said it. So <laughs> I'm going to pair Snape with Dumble. They're long standing friendship. <laughs> You paused after long, and I was like, where is this going? (laughs) Dumble's like, ah, well, Grindelwald is in prison. (laughs) Dumble's like, yes, I do love a long penis. (laughs) All of these years, I've never wanted anyone else. Yes, that's right, Snape. Take out that wand and shoot that green shit right into my face. Now, while I respect your answer, this is the only one I had an answer for, and my answer is James Potter. (laughs) The fandom is like, <laughs> the they're fandom like, oh yes, please read my 16,000 fanfictions on yeah. this. Yes. I'm about to go to like fanfiction.net. How does this pairing look? Oh, there are 16,000 fanfictions <laughs> starring that pairing. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And 5,000 of them include Sirius Black as well. Right, oh. yeah. Total, total threesomes to Sirius Black. <laughs> Your fifth and final matchmaking victim is Draco. Oh, Draco. I mean, 
We might as well make the fandom happy and pair him with Harry. Oh, I thought you were going to say Moaning Myrtle. <laughs> no, that would make Moaning Myrtle happy. You're correct. The fandom, <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you were to like Google what is like the number one like fan oh. fiction pairing of all time. Absolutely. Harry and Draco. 100%. Yes. You did an absolutely lovely job. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Let's talk about the movie. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> They're in the astronomy tower and Harry's just chilling out below deck because there's two decks to the astronomy tower. Draco comes in and it is a very abbreviated abbreviated version of the book. And then Snape comes in and he's like Severus. And then Snape says about a cadaver and he falls off the tower and that's it. That's what happens. Here are the things I hate. One, Bellatrix is there. Buckle in. There. That's right. That's hate true. Hate it. Mm-hmm. Hate it. Helena Bottom Carter looks great. Yes, 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 yes. She looks really fucking great. And they come in, they're like, oh, Draco, you did it. Do it, Draco. And she's like being weird, <laughs> whatever. I hate everything to do with Snape. So I first hate- of all, the way you said that, I thought you were going to be like, I hate her so much of of the the flames 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 on the side of my face face. burning heaving (laughs) all right well next time we're going to be talking about chapter 28 (laughs) i hate everything about snape in this scene not because he's snape even because alan rickman on screen is great so never going to be mad it's like so devoid of any emotion almost even the emotion is off. The number one thing that frustrates me is that Harry, as I said when we read the chapter, Harry is a man of action and he stands there and watches it happen. That's incorrect. There's no way, no way he would have just stood there. And the other thing I hate is that that means that Snape knows that Harry watched him kill them. Yes. At the moment, obviously Snape knows in the next chapter because Harry is screaming at him. But right now, Snape kills Dumbledore in front of everyone who is on the Voldy side. But here you see Snape walk up to Harry and be like, hey, no one is supposed to know you're here. I don't know why he does that. Putting his finger to his lips, like, be quiet. And then he goes up and he kills Dumbledore and Harry watches him and he knows Harry watches him. That leaves me thinking about something else from the book. So there is this moment where Draco says that he's a double agent. And as a reader of the book now, we're like, oh, this is interesting because both of them are correct. But Draco doesn't realize that he's actually double agent for the other side. That's why I said that they're fighting over who likes him more. I mean, that's been building this entire book. It's it's great. In the movie, this little, ooh, that's from Drag Race. No one will understand that because the listeners can't see it, but sure, let's leave it in. That whole little moment, completely gives everything the fuck away exactly it's not explained at all we don't get that discussion of snape being the double agent knowing that we know that dumbledore knows that draco is wrong and that draco is reiterating what all of the death eaters think which is like really one of the cool things about snape's arc how did you get it so wrong i don't know i just i hate that it doesn't seem right to me that harry would not react 
So do it the way it's fucking written if you're not going to have him react because that's not what he does in the book. Yeah. He's frozen. And the fact that Snape knows Harry is watching is such a different feeling. Maybe I'm wrong. Like Maybe people have always thought that Snape knew Harry was there. I feel like the movie gave away more than that douchebag who shouted, Snape killed Dumbledore, like when the book was released, you know? Who, by the way, fun fact, that guy was actually George Santos. I love that. Well, lots of awards and take away some points. I am giving plus five to Rose Murda. And it's only five. I mean, she's been Imperio the whole year. She does kind of help them in this moment. I mean, she gives them brooms, whatever. The whole Rose Murder thing is just very wishy-washy to me, which is totally something that Greasy Onion is guilty of. And I'm giving 10 points, 10 final points to Albus Dumbledore because he has some lovely little moments as he's talking to Draco in this final chapter. It's kind of crazy that he has this final conversation with Draco and Harry never gets one. Perhaps that is worth some thought negative 15 to amicus electo and for being awful and stupid and negative 20 for snape because i mean ultimately this is one of those gray areas where yes it's a double agent sort of thing blah 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 blah, but it's snape and he kills dumbledore and that's mean that's so mean don't kill people that's mean Draco didn't do it. (laughs) Well, and speaking of, I was actually going to take points away from Draco because none of this would have been a thing if it weren't for Draco, you know? But then you can also kind of tie that back to Voldemort or Lucius or someone else and that Draco is just as much a victim, blah, blah, blah. So nothing to or from Draco. I threw him a bone. Did you hear that, Winston? What's the dog's name? What you doing? How's your leg full? I'm recording this podcast with you, you idiot. What do you think I'm here? Anyways, next time we're going to be discussing chapter 28 of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Flight of the Prince. Flight of the Prince. That sounds gay. Well. Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Gorkery. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Yes. Join our social media pages. Facebook, Instagram. I never update Twitter, but we have that. We do. Also email basicsnitches at gmail.com. We also now have a website, basicsnitches.com. And a Patreon, patreon.com slash basicsnitches. Join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes. Taryn Telegra, dance bitch. I see you new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out! <laughs>